This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Hello, Emmaus! This is um, kind of bittersweet. This is actually our last Sunday here at the mansion. So thank you for being here if you are able to come today. And if not... I'm going to see you maybe next week at our new space, which is the Sterling Event Center. And we're going to send out a bunch of communication about where that is and how to get there um, for next Sunday because we're going to start meeting there next Sunday. It's about a mile away from here on 13th and Delaware. So there will be plenty of communication coming up, but this is our last Sunday at the mansion, which is kind of bittersweet. Yeah. We were supposed to have a members meeting in person at the Sterling Event Center on Wednesday, but we actually just changed that to be fully remote. So it's going to be fully virtual, and we'll send out some information about that in the link for you to join that membership meeting online um, later this week. And that is going to be Wednesday at 7. Okay. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Today I'm going to read um, Isaiah 8, all of it, and then through 9, 7. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, belonging to Mahershalal Hashbaz, and I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Mahershalal Hashbaz, for before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria." The Lord spoke to me again, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloah that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the ways of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? to the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to his word, it is because we have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every brute of the, boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. I feel like the, uh, I feel like the common denominator is the, how many times we've said this morning that's bittersweet that we're that we're leaving the mansion. Um, and it's cool to see all the different spaces that God has provided for us over the years. Uh, I've been here since 2014, and we started out, it was actually amazing, it's the first time they could gather on a Sunday morning at a space at, the, uh, at, another, at an art gallery off of Santa Fe, the, the space, space gallery. And uh, it's, it was pro- it's probably one of the most gorgeous spaces we've been in. And each little space that God has provided has had sort of pros and cons to it. And uh, it, that space, as beautiful as it was, we had, our, had to have our gathering team at different times remove very inappropriate pictures off the wall uh, before our gathering at that space. It was an interesting, unique element to the gathering team. And then we moved to a school which was, a, which was a wonderful space because it was kind of set up for a lot of us to be seated. It was, there was a stage. If I had to guess, it was probably one of Ben's favorite spaces. Um, it, was just, it was just designed to do a service like this. And occasionally we would come in on a Sunday and they had a big event for the school and the space where we were gonna meet in was just filled with stuff. So, so we'd be scrambling to get things out and put things in order and, and take pictures and try to put it all back. And uh, now that we're in the mansion, they've been, by far, they have been the most cooperative, most helpful. Just this space has just been a blessing through and through. And I know since coronavirus has made it a little more awkward, um, now that we have some people back in the room over there and um, we don't quite have the same wide open space, but I just want to say thanks to the mansion folks, uh, Rita, the manager here, Mitch, who's here today, like uh, the mansion people have, have, have legitimately been like the easiest group to work with. This, this space has just been like a blessing for me and for Cole and for Ben, being able to like show up randomly and get, get stuff we left locked in a closet or, or just the, the way that they have helped us out and cooperated with us has been wonderful. Um, so I just wanna thank the mansion people for that. And I look forward to the Sterling event space. Um, it's pretty cool. I think it has a lot of the best of all the other things. And the one thing that the Sterling event space is missing that I'm, not gonna, that I'm not going to miss whatsoever, the one thing the Sterling event space is missing is storage up or downstairs. <laughs> Every single space up until this next space, we have had to drag very heavy things up and downstairs. So I'm, I'm not gonna miss that at all. Um, we were excited to do our covenant members meeting uh, at the Sterling event space as um, Emily mentioned, but we decided to switch it to digital. Um, for a couple of reasons. Part of it is just cases in Denver are starting to skyrocket. Um, 
And you might say, well, why don't we switch the, the meetings, uh, the worship gathering to digital? Um, a big part of that is that we just value the gathering of believers to worship. And we think that if we can social distance, if we think we can enforce wearing masks, um, people with symptoms don't attend, we think that we can safely gather to worship. Um, so we, we think about that when we, when we do our worship gathering. We know that there's risk involved, but we wanna be careful um, and we try to account for those risks. But as much fun as the covenant members meeting is, it's something that I do really enjoy. Um, and I think it's something that's really important to attend. I hope um, that there's some good information that goes across the community. I hope there's some good opportunity to pray for the new space that we're gonna move into. As much as I enjoy the covenant members meeting, we, as, as an elder team, Cole and I generally don't value the covenant members meeting as much as we value worshiping on Sunday. So as, as we saw the value of worshiping on Sunday and we were sort of weighing the risks and different things, we thought the, the experience would be better if everybody was on digital and then, then we also don't have to risk something for, for something. It's important, but not as important as what we do on Sunday morning. So that was part of the thinking that went into to switching to digital for the covenant members meeting. So I just thought I would say that, like Emily said, there's gonna be more uh, emails and stuff going out and you can read all about that. So anyways, this morning, this morning I wanna talk about one of the most difficult things to do uh, in 2020. And, and the first thing that kind of pops into my head when I say that myself is like, go to a movie theater? Um, or like, go, go see a concert? I don't know if you remember where people used to gather um, to watch musicians play. And I, I think about difficult things that are just tough to do in 2020. And I'm not, I'm, I'm I wanna talk about something that's difficult in 2020 that we should do, that we ought to do. Some difficult in 2020 um, that we're obligated to do but is also just really hard. And the thing that I wanna talk about is giving thanks. It's been a tough year to give thanks. It's been a, it's been a really hard year to show gratitude. And it's interesting because whether you're a Christian or not, um, most of us kind of instinctually know that we should show gratitude or that we should be thankful. Uh, you know, you're at the office and you're struggling with a presentation or someone calls you in to do something last minute. You know, it's not uncommon for someone to say, well, you know, at least they don't need it right now. At least you have one day, you know? Or, or it, it, the common one is like, hell, you know, it, it could be worse. There's sort of this like impulse inside of us that when we complain or when we grumble, that even outside of Christian circles, there's, that we, we're, we're corrected on that. And I, and I think that's something that's just been extra difficult for everybody in, in 2020. And, and it's interesting how much more difficult it actually is for Christians in 2020. And, and I say that because the Bible is almost painfully clear on when we should give thanks. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. Yes, Lord. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All circumstances. It's, that's, in a way, that's like painfully comprehensive. And if you set aside, you know, some of the 2020 uh, cliches for a second, how does it even begin to work? As we think about our own personal lives, the things that we have to deal with every day, how does it begin, how do, how do we begin to take this serious? You know, how do we give thanks when you have a job that's just like driving you into the ground? 
How do you give thanks when your spouse continues to discourage you? How do you give thanks when it just seems like relationships are broken, sometimes beyond what seems like beyond repair? How do you give thanks even when you're struggling with your own failures? How do we begin to take this seriously and give thanks in all of those circumstances? And I think that's where this passage in Isaiah comes into play. Here in chapter eight, uh, in the first part of chapter nine, we've got a gospel view of suffering that enables us to give thanks in all circumstances. Here in Isaiah, we get more of the gospel, more of the person and work of Jesus so that we can be transformed into a people who are able to give thanks because we have a gospel or we have good news. We have good news that actually changes our view of suffering. And I know when I say that, I wanna take a quick little caveat because I think whether in Christian circles or with friends, a lot of times this idea of we should give thanks or we should count it all joy a lot of times people take that idea and use it to diminish the actual suffering that we go through. To, to, to sort of an awkward and I think in some sense in, a, in an offensive way, a lot of times we'll minimize the suffering or we'll ignore the suffering so that we can have this weird sense where we have a good attitude. And I, and I think that's entirely inappropriate. I think that isn't how Jesus dealt with suffering. That isn't how Isaiah isn't going to deal with suffering. And I don't think that's how the gospel teaches us to deal with suffering. It doesn't teach us to ignore or to minimize suffering. It teaches us to see it, to embrace it, and still give thanks in our suffering. So I don't want you to think I'm trying to minimize. I don't want you to think I'm trying to ignore. There's some really difficult things that we're going through, um, each of us on different levels. So I wanna take that serious uh, as we talk about how the gospel still gives us joy or enables us to give thanks in our suffering. So this morning, that's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about how the gospel changes our view of suffering so that we can be a people who give thanks in all circumstances. A gospel that's able to come to terms with the real and difficult realities of our lives, but still give us hope, but still give us joy, but still give us peace. Give us those things so they can lead to being a people who are known for being thankful. And I think that's a, that's a powerful gospel that's able to transform us and those in the city around us, especially in, in, in 2020, um, which we get, I guess after the next month, we can't make that joke. Um, so, which is fine, I'm okay with that. So let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to make that gospel known to us through the book of Isaiah. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that you are patient with us. Think of the song. I thank you that you make us beautiful. Um, Lord, I thank you that, that even in Isaiah, we have, a, we have a presentation. We have information about the good news of what your son is doing. Uh, we have information about the gospel that can completely change our view of suffering not so that we can ignore it, not so that we can minimize it, but so that we can just give thanks for who you are and what you're doing in the person and work of Jesus, Lord. I know that um, no matter what I have to say, your spirit has to work to open our eyes to behold the beauty of your son. So Lord, I pray that you would do that for us this morning, whether it's through the YouTube, 
um, sitting at home or whether it's through this small spaced out group here, Lord, that your spirit would work and we'd come away more and more in love with who your son is. So do that for us this morning. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so this is where we're gonna circle around a little bit today. Oh, cool. Um, this is kind of what we're gonna, what, the, what everything is gonna be about. We're gonna talk about giving thanks because the gospel transforms our view of suffering by showing us the God behind it, the son who endured it, and our way through it. So we see the gospel, the good news of Jesus, have that transform our view of suffering so that we can see the God behind it, the son who endured it, and our way through it. So let's start by looking at the God behind the suffering, starting in uh, verse one of chapter eight. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Meher Shalal Hashbaz. And I will get a reliable witness, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess and she bore and conceived a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Meher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria." Uh, now, we've had a lot of babies born in Emmaus. Um, I don't think Meher Shalal Hashbaz has landed on the list of baby names for anyone. Um, but if you were thinking about putting it on your list, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, it means the spoil speeds and the prey hastens. So it's not a positive image. It's, a, it's sort of like a reverse image of, of plundering and hunting so instead of saying you're going to be plundered or you're going to be hunted, it's like saying you're in a hurry to give up the spoils and to be the prey. And those situations are coming fast. It's a, it's a warning to God's people. And that's why Isaiah calls, or that's why God calls Isaiah to sort of put it on a large tablet, um, sort of like a, the, a billboard of the day. He couldn't post it on Facebook, so he puts it on a tablet. And he also calls Isaiah to name his child that. And I thought about that and I was like, what if you walked up to like Levi and Arwen and you were like, oh, he's so cute. Like, what is his name? And Levi just looked you in the eye and was like, judgment is coming, wall. <laughs> like what? <laughs> like, that's, isn't he cute? You know, <laughs> so it, that, I mean, that's sort of like, that's the, the, they knew the, you know, the, that was the meaning of his name. So that they picked up on that. And I imagine that Isaiah had a bunch of awkward conversations around the name of his kid. Um, but it's not this idea that judgment is coming isn't totally out of nowhere. Uh, in the last chapter, we talked about how the king of Israel is basically doing anything and everything he could do to protect the nation of Ephraim or protect themselves from the nation of Ephraim and Syria, except trust God. We're told in other parts of the Bible that he, did, he went so far as to sacrifice his own kids so that he could try to per, somehow protect himself from the circumstances that were coming. And here it says Damascus and Syria in this passage, uh, but those are just the capitals of the countries that we talked about last week. Um, so the, those are the, we're talking about the same enemy that they're scared of. And God has been telling Israel that they, they don't have to fear those two nations. They, they can actually trust the Lord. But they continue and continue to trust in anything but God. So now God is using cute little Meher Shalal Hashbaz 
to warn Israel of the judgment that's coming. Look at what Isaiah says in the next section, starting in verse 5. It says, The Lord spoke to me again, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin, the son of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep onto Judah, and it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. So we actually get a couple of pictures here. A couple of pictures that are showing Israel that God is the one who's behind their circumstances, behind the suffering that's coming. First, it says that they despise the waters of Shiloh. The waters of Shiloh are like a spring coming out of the mountain that the city of Jerusalem is built on. So they're, instead, of, instead of being thankful for these waters that God has provided for the people of Israel, it says they're rejoicing over the son of Remaliah. So instead of being thankful for what God has provided in the waters, they're actually looking for protection. They're looking for resources outside of who God is and outside of what he's provided. So then God brings a second image. It's okay, so... So if you, you are not thankful for what I've provided in these waters, then I'm going to bring another set of waters. And he gives us this image of uh, a flood waters that sort of come in, and it's, the, it's this evil king of Assyria that's pictured as a, as a flood that comes in and takes out everybody around them. And it, it's such a, such a big flood that it, it washes into Judea, which is the country that the capital of Jerusalem is in, and it, and it floods and destroys everything even up to the neck. It's sort of like the intensity of this water image. And these floodwaters remind me of the time that I met George Bush. Um, and so this was in, this was in 1998. Um, and I was actually, he's, he was a really nice guy. And I was in junior high and we were on sort of like the San Antonio equivalent of the Cherry Creek Reservoir where you have like sort of this whole grassy area and then over here you have the reservoir and you have waters and, and there was this major flood in San Antonio and so we're out there like looking and I remember to this day seeing the waters where I was used to seeing them and then on the other side also covered in water. And, and you could see as you looked out, you could see houses peeking up out of the water further down because the flood was so intense. Um, so this image of like a flood coming in and just causing all of this destruction is something that, I, you know, I, I kind of have like burned in my mind from junior high, um, which doesn't really have anything to do with meeting George Bush, except he was there and I did meet him and he was a nice guy. So I just thought I would just thought I'd just randomly throw that out there. Um, but, but, but this is what's happening in Isaiah is there's this image of this crazy flood that God is using to describe the judgment and the suffering that he's gonna bring to the evil king of Assyria. This is God showing Israel that he's behind all of his circumstances. Whether that's the waters of Shiloh, the circumstances that they aren't satisfied with, or the flood waters of the evil king of Assyria, the judgment and the suffering to come. God is behind it all. And then you have Isaiah kind of jump in in the next verse, in verses nine and 10, with this confident assertion Look at what he says. He says, Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. 
speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Isaiah's like, I know the God behind all of this, and he does what he says, I can trust him. You can strap on armor, it'll be shattered. You can take counsel together, it won't matter. This, this idea of Manuel is God is with his people, and Isaiah is saying that I trust him even as he brings the suffering. Amen. And he makes the point more emphatically in the next section. Look at what he says in verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with, with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread. Isaiah says a strong hand. Isaiah's like, God has seriously weighed this on my heart and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. Don't look at the circumstances around you in fear or worry about what's gonna happen. Don't think that there is this conspiracy or there's, there's, there's other kind of secret group or things making things happen in the world. God is the one making things happen in the world. Amen. He's the one you should be concerned about. He's the one you should fear, the one you should think about, not some other group of people pulling the strings somewhere. He's saying God is the one that pulls the strings in this world. And here's the thing. If you know the God behind the suffering in the world, and if you know the God behind what's happening even in our own lives, he's the loving father who has Gene quoted for us is working everything out for the good of his people. And this loving father, if, if you know that he's the one behind what's happening in this world and that you can trust him, then, then you can begin to understand how the gospel can change your view of suffering. Look at what Isaiah says in the next verse. If you, if you fear this God, he says in verse 14, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Both a sanctuary, which is a, a holy place where forgiveness is found and a stone of offense, like a rock you trip over. And the difference, the difference is whether you see and trust the loving father behind the suffering or you call conspiracy what others call conspiracy. You see something or someone else behind the things that are going on in the world. So how do we know the true character of this God? Let's just say he is behind everything. How do we know the true character of the God behind everything that's going on? It's, it's in his word. We know this God because he's revealed himself in his word, which is what Isaiah says in uh, verse 16. He says, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. He says, my disciples, they're, they're fixed on, they've bound up and secured my teaching and my testimony, those who fear and trust me, 
know that the loving God behind their suffering is because they know the word of God. And he says this again in verse 20, almost more clearly. He says, to the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Having no dawn, it's like having no light or understanding. If they don't know the word of God, then they won't know the God behind the suffering in the world. And what happens when you don't know the God behind the suffering in the world? Look at the the next couple of verses. He says, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they'll be enraged and speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, darkness, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. They complain. Without the word, they complain. They're not thankful. And what's interesting is our Bible says as they pass through the land, but that's actually kind of a, an interpretation. The more literal way is to say they will pass through it. It's not that specific. And you think, well, what are they going to pass through? They're going to pass through the flood of judgment that God is bringing through the king of Assyria. So as they pass through this judgment, if they don't trust the God behind this, they complain because they don't turn to the word of God. They don't trust the God behind the suffering. So I know uh, this is a really long point and I promise that the next ones are a lot shorter, um, but if I lost you, I don't blame you. Uh, now is a good time to kind of check back in because this idea of turning to the word of God to trust the God behind the suffering is really important because it takes us directly to the gospel. It takes us directly to Jesus. John 1 says that the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Jesus himself. Yes, Lord. And Jesus shows us that we can trust this God because Jesus endured the same sufferings and has now come out on the other side of this judgment, better off, resurrected in new creation glory, never to suffer again. We're able to give thanks when the gospel transforms our view of suffering because we can trust the God behind our suffering. We can trust this God because we, we can actually know him and his character through his word. We can know him in his character through the word made flesh in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the God behind the suffering that we can trust. And if you think about this, what's the alternative? There's no one behind our suffering. Our suffering is an accident. There's someone not good, holy, righteous, and true behind the suffering. I mean, if any one of those things are true, I have every reason to complain. If it's an accident and it's terrible, why can't I be, why can't I complain about it? If someone that's not loving and kind is behind it and it happens to me, I should be able to complain about that. But the gospel tells me that the God behind this, the suffering is a loving, sovereign God 
who's working all things out for the good of his people. The gospel tells me that I can actually know the God behind the suffering through the son who endured it so that I'm able to still give thanks in my suffering. And Isaiah begins to show us this gospel right here at the end of chapter eight. Isaiah right here begins to to show us the son who's enduring the suffering. And we can see it in this really dramatic shift between the last verse in chapter eight and the first verse in chapter nine, which are actually uh, in the same chapter in the original language, which is the last two verses of chapter eight. Uh, Look at what it says, starting in 8.22. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And you see the shift there. We kind of have doom and gloom, And then all of a sudden in the latter time, the way of the sea is made glorious. In the former time, contempt, disdain, disgust. But now in the latter time, the way of the sea is made glorious. It's like saying wonderful or weighty or majestic. And if you're keeping track, this is sort of our third water image. First, we have Shiloh, waters that God provides that his people reject. Then we have floodwaters, which are judgment, the people pass through, complaining and starving. And now we have sea waters, which is an Old Testament picture of passing through the way of the sea, the waters of judgment. So how can the way through suffering and the way through judgment, this Assyrian king pictured as a flood, be made glorious? Thinking about these two verses together, it's almost like this little bipolar episode. You have doom, you have gloom, you have complaining, you have starvation. And then all of a sudden in the latter time, you have this glorious way through the sea. And we've seen this pattern already in the book of Isaiah. We've seen this pattern of suffering that leads to glory. And we talked about this in chapter one, when we talked about how the book of Isaiah is about God's son who is judged He passes through the judgment and ends up better off on the other side. We had an example of that last week with the wicked prophet. Isaiah is a man of unclean lips. He's sinful. He passes through the fires of judgment with the burning coal and he ends up better off on the other side. And these these things are are not meant to happen, but that's the whole point. Isaiah is showing us the gospel of the death and resurrection of the son who endured the suffering for us. That's why this is the good news. This is the gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus changing our view of suffering in the book of Isaiah. This is Isaiah helping us trust the God behind our suffering because we can see the son who endured our suffering. And it's that better son, it's that better prophet who now makes the way of the sea, the way through judgment glorious. It's the gospel of Jesus enduring our suffering and and coming out on the other side of that suffering in new creation glory, never to suffer again. It's that gospel that changes our view of suffering so that we could say the way of the sea, the way 
through the waters of judgment are glorious. Now, in case you um, think that I'm just finding Jesus everywhere uh, in the Bible, which uh, I'm happy to take that criticism. I'd rather be, I'd rather be looking too much for Jesus than too little. Uh, but, but in case you think I may have fallen off the uh, interpretive wagon here, let's look at what Matthew 4 verses 12 through 16 says. This is, this is how one of the apostles in the New Testament uh, views this part of Isaiah. He says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Quote, this is from our passage, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadows of death, on them a light has dawned. Amen. So Matthew says, Jesus went and lived somewhere. And so because he moved hoods, this fulfills this prophecy. And I think when I first read that, I was like, how does that make this any more clear? But it, it makes it clear if you understand where this falls in the story of Matthew. Right before this fulfillment passage, Jesus passed through the literal waters. Jesus passed through those waters in his baptism, the exact same waters that the people being dragged off by Assyria would have had to have passed through. In the baptism of Jesus, we see a picture of Jesus passing through the waters of judgment. It's pointing towards what he's gonna deal with on the cross. And do you know what happens right after Jesus passes through the waters in the book of Matthew? He's immediately taking out to the desert and he's starving to death. And there he do, does battle not with the king of Assyria, but with Satan himself. And do you know what Satan says? why don't you complain about the fact that you don't have any food? Why don't you complain about the circumstances that God has put you in? And Jesus essentially says to the testimony, to the word, look what God has said. I trust my father. I trust what God is doing behind my suffering. And there in the desert, Jesus defeats not the king of Assyria, but the prince of the power of the air. Jesus passes through the waters. Jesus defeats the evil king Satan while starving in the desert because he actually turns to the teaching and to the testimony because he actually 100% trusts the God behind his suffering. And Matthew plants this verse here and says, now everything in Isaiah has been fulfilled. Now, now the way of the sea is made glorious. Now the people who rejected the waters of Shiloh have seen a great light. And now the gospel has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus passing through the waters of judgment and conquering the enemy of all enemies, Satan himself. And that's the good news. That's the gospel that transforms our view of suffering. Because Jesus trusted the God behind it. Because Jesus endured the judgment we deserve. 
And now Jesus has shown us our way through it, our suffering, our way through our suffering, because now he's the only one who could actually conquer sin, Satan, and death. He's the only one who could actually make the way of the waters of judgment, the way of the sea glorious. And if we believe that, if we believe that gospel, we're actually able to give thanks in every circumstance. If we believe that gospel, then we can rejoice like Isaiah rejoices in chapter nine. Look at what he goes on to say in verses three through five. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Isaiah is calling on another day, the day of Midian, where an enemy of God's people has been crushed. And now he's saying, look, in the latter times, the enemy will be crushed, Satan himself. In the latter times, there will be no more burden. The burden has been lifted by the servant that's gonna come and do all of this for us. We're no longer beaten by the rod of the oppressor because Jesus is on his throne, graciously using every single difficult thing in our lives to mold and shape us into his image, to graciously bring us through the judgment and the suffering in this world. Jesus is making the way of the sea glorious for us today. Jesus has multiplied the nations and increased our joy. And Isaiah goes on, look at what he says in verse six. It says, for, us, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Yes, Lord. That's today. That, that's something we can be thankful for. Believing the gospel is able to change our view of suffering so that we could give thanks because we can trust the God behind it. We can see the son who's endured it for us. And we can look to the resurrection and the glory of Jesus as a promise that we will make it through our suffering better off. That's the power of the good news the power of the gospel that's able to change our view of suffering. A gospel that's able to lift our eyes beyond what we're seeing today and behold the glory and the wonder of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords so that we can give thanks for all the things he brings our way because he's already shown us our way through it. And I thought about this and I was like, do I complain? Do I grumble like Israel in the desert? Yeah, like this morning. And I forget the gospel a lot. And I hate that. That's why we need each other. That's why we're a community to help remember the gospel. And I think we need each other more than ever in 2020. We need to point each other to the beauty and the majesty of our King. And when we complain, 
We have to dwell sometimes hourly, minute by minute, on the beauty and the glory of the gospel. And if we're able to to believe, to grasp, to comprehend the wonders of what Jesus has accomplished, we can actually be a people who are known for giving thanks. And I think the most encouraging thing, the wonderful part about this all, is the way Isaiah ends this section. Because it's easy to end this section and say, yeah, don't forget, shape up, Stop complaining. You're terrible at this. But look at what he says. He says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He ends the section with the zeal of the Lord of the host will do this. You won't do this. The passion and drive of the God of the universe will ensure that his people are brought through the seas of judgment. And Isaiah longed to say, Isaiah longed to say what we can say today. The zeal of the Lord of hosts has done it. Jesus has passed through, has trusted the God behind it, and has already shown us our way through it. So how do we have thankfulness in our suffering? We lift our eyes to the person and work of Jesus so that we can see a gospel that actually changes our view of suffering. So thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift, a gospel so good that we can be a people who give thanks even in 2020. Yes, Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we get a glimpse of how good your son is, um, it's, hard not, it's hard not to just bemoan the fact that we don't see that often enough. Um, Lord, I thank you that you don't love me. Um, you don't love your people based on how much we, we see of the wonder and beauty of your gospel. Yet you, you desire to continue to use your spirit so that we could behold more and more of the beauty of the gospel so we could be transformed, so we give thanks, and so that you would receive glory so that you would receive praise and honor for the things you're doing, Lord. I pray that you would just help us see Christ, see the beauty of the gospel in whatever we're doing today, whether it's eating, suffering, thinking about work, Lord, that, that you would be in the forefront of our minds, uh, that you would show us the good news that we will make it through this, Lord. And thank you for that reality this morning. Uh, in your name I pray, amen.